Hey, welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out Podcast. I'm your host, Diane Hudock, where we have fun talking about the phenomenal and the fascinating. From angels to energy healing, from mystical places to mystical teachings, this is a place where we nerd out on the science of the soul. My guest today is a pastor, he's a spiritual counselor, he's an author, and he comes with a magnificent story, many stories. He's written the book, Heaven is Beautiful, and Two Minutes for God, and many more to come. Peter Panagor, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. I'm super psyched to be here, Diane. Thank you very much to have me. You know what? This is going to be a lot of fun, I can tell already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's do this. Um, let's talk about God. <gasps> so yeah. let's get really, um, you know, woo-woo today, because I know you're into that kind of stuff. And um, let's just go there where it's really uncomfortable for most people, because deep down, that's really, I think, where people want to go. And mm-hmm. this is the place to hear it. So first of all, you're an ice climber. X. X ice climber. Yeah. I'm reading your book, which was amazing, by the way, Heaven is Beautiful. And what does it mean to be, when you say belay on, belay on? On belay. On belay. It's super Frenchy, I think, um, in its origin. (laughs) I think so. And so what it basically means is when you're on belay, that means that the person who's uh, holding the rope on the bottom uh, is carrying the the not the weight but the pulling the slack so the person who's on the rope on the top who's actually doing the climbing doesn't have any slack in the line in case they fall okay. there's it, it, so if you're off belay it means that you're in a safe position if you're on belay it means that you're actually climbing and the responsibility of the person with the rope down below is to take all the slack up as they climb as they ascend got it Wow. Your partner that you talk about, Tim, in your book, I mean, wow. Talk about trust and talk about communion and talk about, my God, just being able to be in the moving meditation of active surrender, (laughs) literally. Yeah. And, and it, climbing is very Zen. It's, it's super, it's hyper, super focus of exactly where you are. You can't be anywhere else in your mind. You can't even be thinking about the fall below you or the climb above you. You have to be completely present to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's, it is a flow state. It's definitely a flow state. And I trusted, I learned to, to, to trust Tim in the previous week because we had seven or eight days of snow caving together in the, in the high mountain back country where, you know, you make a major mistake and you, you die out there. So right. trust was a big deal. Right. I remember you're saying you in your book, like the first night you guys were trying to find a cabin and then you found like two logs because the cabin had burnt down to the ground. And we had left our tent behind because we were going to be in the cabin and then going to snow caves. Um, Yeah. So we we slept below an ice slab that night and it it was crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So how old were you? Uh, we should tell the audience, and we'll get into this. You had a really wild near-death experience, which we'll talk about for sure. Um, 
that really, of course, naturally, not so surprisingly, set the tone for the rest of your life. <laughs> and how old were you when you were twenty um, one? Just were 21. turned twenty one. Just turned. Okay. Yeah. So I think the story part of the story is you had a near death experience. The other part of it is the nature, the circumstances, in that your partner is an atheist. You are a spiritualist, if you will. Yeah. Did you grow up religious? I did. I I, I was I, I see Ganesh in the background. Ganesh entered in my life very young. Okay. I might have been five or six years old when Ganesh uh, came to me, but I was raised Roman Catholic and Greek Orthodox. Okay. Mom's Roman Catholic, dad's Greek Orthodox, and kind of in a mix between the two. And they were about a block apart. I went to Catholic high school. I was a I was a born again charismatic Christian for a while, but I was a natural born mystic um, and began having uh, woo woo experiences quite young and learned to keep my mouth shut about them. I interview a lot of people that talk about their mystical experiences, and it's, there's this common thread that they have to keep their mouth shut, that if they speak up about it, that, you know, one guy, they, the parents did an exorcism on him because- Well, that's why you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> so, right? That's right, yeah. So Ganesh came to you when? When you were five? I was like five or six years old, and it was the second, it was the second mystical event in my life. And so let me, let me define mysticism for your audience. Yeah. Uh, William James, for those of you who ever read The Varieties of Religious Experience, it's a famous book uh, from last century, Four Characteristics of Mysticism. It's transient. So you have mystical experience has a beginning and an end. It's passive. You don't make it happen. It happens to you. Grace happens to you. It's noetic. Or another word for noetic knowledge is wisdom. It's there's wisdom involved. There's noetic understanding that is that's inaccessible to the brain. You can't grasp it, which means it's unspeakable, and that's the fourth part. It's ineffable. And so there's this whole huge range of mystical experiences that that go all the way from a visitation from the dead mm -hmm. um, after after your beloved one dies, right up to people like. Uh, Hildegard of Bengen and Julian of Norwich and uh, Rumi and Lao Tzu, mm -hmm. uh, who have these uh, unitive state, states of being uh, entering into the nothingness. So there's this wide, wide gamut. Um, and uh, my experience, my first one was um, an angel came to me and took me into heaven and I was in the presence of God and God I was in my body and out of my body, and I could see my body and so and my spirit. Um, I was I had all these different perspectives, and this voice was speaking inside me and outside of me and stretched me like a rubber band from earth to heaven. And the I was in the in in the 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 realm of God, and the voice said to me, "You belong to me. You are mine, and you are you work for me." And then within about a year, I I had I woke up in bed one night because I heard my name being called and I sat up in bed and I swung my legs over, legs over the side and I looked back and I was still in bed. And so I could see my body. I'm like five or six years old. I could see my body and, and I'm, everything is sepitone and I hear my name being called. And so I get up and I don't touch the floor 
and I'm I'm erect and I hear my Peter, Peter, come to me, Peter. And I go to the door and the door is like six inches open because I'm afraid of the dark because I'm a kid. Um, and I go to pull the door open and I can't touch the knob. It's like, you know, not there. Um, the voice says, come through the door. I go through the door and there on the stairs is a baby elephant and the baby elephant is dressed in indian garb and it's uh on the on the landing of the stairs is it's a right angle stair set and it's on the landing on the right angle and i go down to it it calls me to it with the most compassionate eyes and communication i'd ever encountered and when i got to it i looked in its eyes and its eyes were coal black just blackness and as i looked into them they became like uh, star fields and i fell into them and i fell inside this being this elephant and there was wisdom and knowledge and compassion and understanding and i became a little frightened and i popped back out and then it sent me down the stairs telepathically telling me what to do go down the stairs i go down the stairs i go pass through the door as if it was um, open but it wasn't out onto the street and it it commands me to look up and i look up and i look into i look into the universe and in the instant i look into the universe i see infinity and when i see i, I see the interior of this being and when I see this infinity, it freaks me out and I'm out of my, I'm back in my bed again, boom. And I'm, I'm, I'm wide awake and I'm like, what just happened to me? And so I got out of bed and, you know, my mom and my dad and my sisters are sleeping and my brother's sleeping. I snuck around the entire house. I searched the entire house for this elephant uh, down into the scary, scary, dark basement that my mother right you know yeah i know right, it. exactly i went down there looking for this elephant and and then i i spent i stayed up for like an hour or two waiting for this thing and it never came and um but i was a changed kid after that after yeah. those two events i i told my mother about the first one mm -hmm. and she said oh you're going to be a priest you need to learn to dust the house because you're not going to this is okay this is the 1960s okay you're not going to have a wife to do this for you okay now as a result of this training from my mother i do clean the house i'm like i am like the duster vacuumer the floor washer so there was a payoff for that but um but it was because i was going to be i was going to be alone and so there's always been this 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 part of one of the tracks in my life has always been this spiritual subtrack. Um, but I learned the deeper you go towards God, the more separate you will be from others in this world. Ah, uh, yeah. Ooh, wow. That is definitely the result of what happened to me when I died. And um, when I died, one of the after effects is I live in this sort of non-attachment state my my beloved my the beloved of my soul is the divine and i didn't i didn't plan that i didn't i didn't work that out i didn't think it through it just is what happened to me when i died i encountered love beyond the a unitive state of love beyond capacity for human understanding it's a noetic experience that is ineffable and 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 it, it consumed my entire self and i was i was no more and 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 after this effect the after effect on me is um i love my family 
I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my parents. I love my dogs, you know, but nothing compares. Yeah. It's like, you know, and Carl, Carl Jung had a near-death experience. I don't know if you guys know, yeah. know that about him. Um, he described it something like um, a, a, a black and white world. And that's the way that it is. It, it was for me for a long time. I've readjusted. Okay, I've, I'm 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 better adjusted than I was, but most of me didn't come back. Most of me still there, even though I I did a soul recall, yeah. um, which helped. So, do you feel like you have one foot in this world and one foot over there? Always, every freaking day, all mm. day long, every day. I live unless I'm 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 focused on what I'm doing, and I can escape it if I'm in a focused flow state. Like if I'm if I'm cleaning the house, listening to a podcast, or I'm on my bicycle, or I'm skiing, or something, something where it's all totally occupying. I can kind of weave out of it, but once I'm woven back into, once that stops, it's my my daily existence is primarily there and partially here. Hmm. Well, your experience to me, I mean, it's very Eastern in that you say in your book, you know, it's a no thing. It's a no thing. No thing. It's a no name. It's the nameless one. It's like the Tao. The moment you give it a name, you've lost it. Right. And it's the lightless light that has no light yet. It lights the whole world. It is all light. And then, yes. um, But like many people that I, I talked about this in another podcast when I was in college, my senior thesis, very similar to you, I think I'm a born mystic, having mm. experiences early on as a child and not really understanding it, but having mm. a sense of intuition that, oh, that was not of this world. Oh, that angel just saved me from falling <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see anything, but I felt hands throw me to the other side of the, you know, my mom's going around the corner. My, I'm, I'm, I'm having the door open. My head's hanging out on the curb. She's going about 45 miles an hour. And then I feel these hands just pick me up and throw me and the door closes. And my mom's just oblivious. She's like, honey, you okay back there? <laughs> You're like, ah, freak out. Hands. All I can say is hands. She's like, hands about what? Hands? What? Your hands hurt? <laughs> you know, <laughs> never mind. And, uh, <laughs> right. you know, and mind you, um, my mom, my mom's an identical twin. And uh, she lost her dad uh, in front of her pretty much when she was 14. He had a massive heart attack. And oh, back my. then when um, people had heart issues or high cholesterol or whatever, they would prescribe, if you can believe this, cream. So he what? was, yeah, he was having oh, oh, yeah, like, yeah, like cream. Yeah. Like, like half and half. Wow. So he said, sweetheart, I'm having, you know, some indigestion. Can you get me some cream? And she mm. said, sure, daddy goes to the refrigerator, gets some cream, comes back out and he's blue on the floor. And he said, well, wow. her and her twin sister, identical twin sister, they go to sleep and they wake up the next day after this horrific event. And they both said, we just had a dream about dad. And they said, don't tell me, let's write it down in our diaries and we'll share and exchange stories. And they both wrote down the exact same story, which is that he was floating in the corner of the room. He said, I'm fine. Take care of your mom. All is well. I love you. I'll see you soon enough. And I think back then, 
like you say, with your experiences where you just, you just shut down because society like was not ready for that. So even with all these spiritual experiences that I know my mother's had, it's like, if I told her that angels touched me and saved me from falling out of the car, I sort of intuitively knew she wasn't even ready for that, even though she's had these experiences of her father throughout her life. <laughs> it's she's uh, had no social support for that either. That's right. So she's, it's been taboo for her. That's right. That's right. Um, but to your point, I don't know a single person that I was saying in college, I interviewed, uh, my senior thesis paper was on near-death experiences. And I interviewed over 30 people on near-death experiences. Wow. And, yeah. And, and somehow just the way spirit works, like the next week or two, there was a psychic fair. And there were <laughs> all these people in New York that were going to the psychic fair to talk about their near-death experiences. And I just would, you know, go from booth to booth to booth and collect data. And I've never met a single person from that or any time in my life that I've had a near-death experience. And it's been an easy integration back in their body. Never. Yeah. Because you you once you pop out of your body, you know you're not your body. Mm-hmm. Nobody else does. <laughs> so you you so there's this huge conflict where where when you once that's and that's just one problem, but that's a major problem that that now you know that you're not from here and so you say to people, I'm an alien from another world. I mean, that's basically what they hear when you say, I died, he went to heaven, and I don't belong here anymore. I'm an alien from another world, which we now know, of course, the Pentagon is like tracking UFOs off the eastern and western seaboards. So that's really not crazy anymore, okay? But but people still hear it that way. Um, and it's – and plus, it's – the perspective is totally different. I came back into my, the same body with the same life – only I was a different person. I came back with a whole new self-understanding relationship to the divine, which changed my entire relationship to the entire world. Every, every molecule of my life is different as a result. I see, and all ND ears were kind of in the same boat. Yeah. You make me think of Paramahasa Yogananda. And- oh, big fan. Great. I, I, I knew we'd like connect like Nanu Nanu on that. And um, it reminds me of a quote that he says from um, one of his discourses. And he says, people of today should break through the dark glass of theology, the mm. intellectual knowledge of God and perceive God directly. Yes. And really, it, it's like this Christ consciousness that he speaks of. Mm. So different than the theological Jesus that many people were taught, Jesus the body, Jesus the person. But these experiences that you've had, to me, really speak of not only direct experience of perceiving God directly, but it's a communion that is beyond any rationalization. And it's like, you cannot think your way to God. You cannot. And so I'm not saying don't go to church or go to temple, 
do it. Do it every day if you have to. Whatever keeps you grounded and and moves you into that place of the loving. I mean, I I love um, going to self-realization center. And, and I even love churches. I love just sitting there and, and absorbing the energy and the ritual. I love all of it. But I think to your point with your experience, what you speak of is this communion that for you is even so difficult to put into words because it's beyond rationalization. It's beyond any intellectualization. It's beyond theology. It's beyond dogmatism. It's even beyond superstition. It's beyond, it's beyond belief. There is no, I have no belief. I am not a believer. What are you? I am, well, as a not believer, some people think I'm an atheist, but I, but I, because I don't believe in God, I'm a mystic. I'm, I belong to the holy. My soul is part i know i know that my soul is made of light i am light from light i know i know that's who i am mm -hmm. and so I, I i knew that i couldn't think my way into this afterwards and paramahansa yogananda actually that quote made a difference in my life within the within four or five months of my coming back i read autobiography of a yogi and i discovered that the idea because it's an anti it's an anti-christian idea that you can dig your way into god <clears throat> yes but i but i learned that not only not only did pramahansa yogananda um teach kriya yoga as a as a tool to carve a path to the divine which is the path i've been on for 40 years now i found out that that's pretty much true in all mysticism Mm -hmm. That's what meditation is. That's what that's what this, the Sufis and the dance and the the qigong and and the and the and the 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 rabbis at the at the wailing wall. You know, everybody's doing their thing to to stop the story of the mind and yeah. and replace it with the divine, um, and then abandon even that. Yeah, in go order to go beyond the mind. Exactly. Yeah. You have to you have to use the mind to go beyond the mind. Right. But it's not about collecting knowledge. Right. When you had your experience, you speak about hell in your book and how it's you experiencing the pain of all the others that you've ever created. Hurt. Intentionally hurt or unintentionally. Can yeah. you talk about that? Yes. Yeah, so I, my, the hell I went through was not everybody goes through a hell. Um, and, uh, I don't know why I did, but I know the result of it. Uh, and I'll tell you that in a moment, but what, it, what my experience was is that I was utter as Peter, I was utterly known. I knew that I was known by the knower of all and that there was no part of me that was unknown. And I, I suffered all of the pain that I gave away to everyone in a chronological life review sort of way from their point of view with their pain, but their pain, as it turns out, was magnified from, from when I was on earth, it didn't seem magnified, but when I was in heaven, it was 10,000 times greater, and I felt their pain. I, all of the suffering that I gave away, I karmically gave to myself. Mm. I loaded it, and I, I liken it to um, this, uh, where is it? Oh, do I have it here? I do. Um, a Christmas Carol. 
this book is this book is this book is if you've ever seen a christmas carol this book is filled with near-death experience i mean it, it dickens dickens probably had one but i that's something else to talk about but marley i forged these chains in life link by link i i did that to myself I carried the weight of all of the pain that I gave away. And when I went through my hell, I experienced not only from their perspective, I experienced it from my perspective, my rationalizations for causing them their pain. And uh, all of my rationalizations or my emotional status, you know, I'm so angry at my sister that I, you know, whatever I did to her, um, I saw them as nothing in comparison to the amount of pain that I gave away, and I judged myself guilty. I was guilty. I felt guilty. Felt guilty not because of of what I had done, although which was bad. Okay, but I was only you know, I was a kid. How bad could I have been, right? Um, so, but it was in comparison to the purity of the divine who was speaking inside me, I love you, I made you, I know you, I forgive you. The whole time that this was going on, love was being spoken inside of me. And it was that, it wasn't the my, my sins, it was the comparison to, to unlimited love. That's where my guilt came from, that I was not that I was still loved even though I had caused this pain. And, I, I, and the voice said to me, it, it showed me humanity and showed me the, the, the radical equality of all of us in our capacity for wounding each other. There's no gradation. And the, the comparison is not person to person. The comparison is humanity to the divine and in that comparison there is no comparison there because the purity of the state of being nobody nobody is as pure as that we all fall short of the glory of god in christian language right but, but it was also shown to me that it was not my fault that I was like this. I didn't make the matrix. I didn't design the universe to be a place where everybody consumes everybody else, where you know star systems get consumed in, in black holes and uh, you know uh, chickadees get eaten by hawks. Uh, that's just the nature of the world. It's not your fault, God said to me. Not your fault that you were behaved as a human being while a human being i love you as you are i have always loved you and so i experienced it as a as a purgative fire of divine love which cleansed me of all of that which didn't have a place in heaven couldn't i couldn't bring with me I, maybe i could have chosen to hold on to that but i didn't and my hell ended the moment that i turned toward love and so I, I also carried with me not only the pain that I caused, but all of the love I'd given away and all the love that I had gathered. Mm. And, and from that moment on, when I turned to face the divine who had no face, I'm in a place of nothingness. There is no, I am no thing in, a, in, a, in, a, in an infinite illuminated darkness where, where the divine is directly next to me, but I can't see the divine and speaking inside me and all around me. 
um, I was then infilled with a oneness of being, love and beauty and knowledge and understanding, joy, bliss, healing, wholeness, adoration, awe, compassion, joy, and anything I wanted to know I knew in an instant. Um, that's what happened. So based on your perspective from all this, does everyone get into heaven? Like what happens to Dolly? Ah. Hitlers of the world, all the well, sociopaths. Do you go to a stopover place in heaven? I love you anyway, but you got some work to do. <laughs> I think, I think, I don't know this. Okay, I only know what happened to me, and right. uh, so, so I, 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 I have two kind of a two-part answer for you. And so, I after this experience, I said, "Am I dead?" And the voice said, "Yes, you're dead." And I, and I. I was in this bliss, a state of bliss. Okay, so I'm also I, I I'm in this odd position where I where I experienced the oneness of being, where I was so filled that one more ounce of this or one more molecule of this I would have obliterated, but I was also there was still enough of me, Peter, left. Um, even though I saw my the origin of my soul self, um, there was enough of Peter present to think of my parents and their suffering, and I and I I, I didn't want to leave them to suffer to lose a, a second child. My parent, my sister had van had vanished. It's a long story, um, but book, yeah, I, I cover some of it. I do, and but I'm swept in an instant by the divine across heaven to the edge of the creation of the universe and can see all of earth all at once. And as I see all of earth all at once and every single human being on earth, I see them all covered in a veil and I hear the divine say to me in its infinite voice. So it's in this timeless, this time, all time and no time, all in, in, in its infinite expanse of self say, in the way that I love you now, and showed me this love. That's it's, it's this is this is the moment in which I fell in love with God. God is my lover. God is my beloved. And and there was so much love there that I, I can't express it to you. I can't tell you. It was it was timeless. And the voice said, "In the way that I love you now, you now know that I have always loved you eternally. Was is and always will be." And my love is healing, and and I love you in particular, and I love every person that you can see in particular. Every single human being is my is made of me. I had seen the origin of myself. I'd seen myself called into being. I'd heard my name, my soul name called. I in the in the calling of my soul name, I saw myself as I was created, and 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 the length, the long tail of my soul the the length of my eternal nature um and i understood that i am not my body and i understood that i was beloved and made of goodness and i could see that same beloved goodness inside of every human being mm. every human being no one is lost because they are beloved no one is lost because they are beloved but that doesn't mean that someone can't choose to to turn a, to turn away from the divine. Right. I don't. I don't. I don't know all the people I know who've gone through hell, and I know two or three people who've been to hell. Um, personally, they've all been pulled out of hell one way or the other. Some Jesus or God or an angel or something like, or or I just turned to face the love. Um, right. And I think that those people who die and go into hell, maybe they didn't stay there long enough. 
Mm. Maybe if they had stayed dead, they would have passed through to the other side. Um, but not everybody goes through hell. There's like, that, that's, that's some people's journey and not other people's journey. And for those who go to hell and don't encounter heaven in their death, um, God is so compassionate that God gives us what we need. That's why we have different experiences. That's why we come back with, with the partial knowledge. I have partial knowledge. I don't have whole knowledge. I had whole knowledge on the other side, but not infinite knowledge. I had the wholeness that I could go, that my capacity was able to contain. And I have that same problem here. It's just that my capacity here is so much smaller. And that's true for everybody. And so the divine gives us the, gives us the message and the tools that we need to continue living. So maybe those people who went to hell, maybe they turned their lives around here. I mean, I turned my life around here. I wasn't bad, but I live my life knowing knowing that I hurt people all the time, knowing that I'm carrying, dragging this thing behind me. And so I'm always trying to fix up the wounds that I cause. I try not to cause wounds. I'm a human being. I mean, geez, of course I hurt people. And you always hurt the ones you love. That is just the way it is. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and sometimes you hurt them badly. Um, yeah, I think you make a really good point. Um, and I'm no big, biblical scholar, but you, you, you know, you say not one soul is lost. It makes me think of that quote from the Bible. Not one soul is lost. And when I'm doing counseling, we both do spiritual counseling. And I remind them that, you know, God is either this judging God and, or God is this unconditional loving presence. And you, it's like, which do you choose? So if God is truly this loving presence, and yes, we're responsible creators, then not one soul is forsaken. And God isn't going to be so witty that he's going to say, okay, um, everyone gets in, everybody gets the love that is to be received by me. But you, Pamela, over there, I'm going to leave you out. It sounds abusive to me. Right. It's like if, you're, if your spouse came home and said, um, if you, I'll only love you if you do these things. That's right. It's, it's, it's coercive control. And I, 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 I just, I can't, I can't, I, that's not what I saw. That's right. And that's not what anyone I know that's ever had a near-death experience. They completely obliterate the uh, theological definition of what God is, this good versus evil. If you do this, then you get this. If you don't do this, then I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, even the hell I was in was created by the divine. I knew that when I was there. Mm -hmm. There's nothing not created by the divine. Right. You've had a lot of experiences after this near-death experience Again, something that I hear is very common for people that cross over and come back, where they come back with very uh, specific, phenomenal gifts, insights, clairaudience, clairvoyance, clairsentience, um, all the clairs. <laughs> all the clairs. That's all right. Clairs. And um, I would love for you to share your experience of the car accident that you saw and the steeple. I just think it's such a wonderful 
story um, worth telling? Well, um, after this all happened, my life changed radically, and I ended up going to divinity school instead of uh, architecture, which would have been my plan since I was a kid, and in the family, going to the family firm. And so I went to Yale Divinity School where I studied mysticism, where they don't have a course in mysticism. And I was in my third year and I was went on a retreat to with a bunch, bunch of kids to help kids on a retreat weekend. And on the way home, I was with this guy who I just met. Um, a new a new divinity student and uh, but we hit it off we we're kind of we became buddies pretty quick we're driving down the highway and i see up ahead a car had flipped upside down and was landed on the on the medium strip on the guardrails between the two the north and the southbound lanes and uh, i screamed at brian pull over the car and he, he, he pulled he's like what's going on i was like just stop the car and he pulled over the car and i hop out and i, I had been ski patrol for a good part of my life and so i was trained as a first responder and so my first response is you know get to the scene see what's going on so i, I cross the highway i get to the scene i see what's going on there's a bunch of guys there uh, who had also stopped to help um, but but i was the i was the only person who was trained i you know anybody here is a doctor or a nurse or in first aid or in, i'm like okay i'm in charge and so the the driver was agitated and I couldn't get him to calm down and lie down. But his dad, because he was super upset because his dad was unconscious, lying next to the car um, on his back, eyes shut. And so I went over to the dad and I kneeled down next to the dad and I began to palpate. He's, he's unconscious. I you know, pop open the eyelid. The eyelids are, his eyes are uh, uh, unequal and reactive to light. So when they're unequal and reactive to light, that means that if you pop open your eye, it, it, it opens to us or it closes, right? Closes because of the light, closes the same way over here, closes the same way over here. But when they're unequal, you know, they're like pulsing, um, that means the head injury likely. Okay. And so the first, I'm like, oh, oh, this is, you know, I don't know much about medicine, but this is, doesn't look good. Mm -hmm. And so I palpate this guy and no broken bones that I could find. And I get to his belly and he's kind of, you know, he's got a beer belly, he's paunchy. And, um, but it's not soft and jelly like, it's like stone. And so I touched this guy. I'm like, oh, this is, you know, stone belly blood. So he's probably got interior bleeding and there's nothing I can do for this guy. So he's in shock. And I think, okay, can't help him for shock. Can't raise his legs, put a blanket over him. Cause you raise the legs, you're driving more blood into the, uh, into the bleed or, or into the head injury. And, and so that's, you know, double compounding the problem. So there's nothing I could do. And it's like, I call it, call an ambulance. We already called an ambulance. Ambulance is on the way. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, I'm going to meditate over this guy. So this is, this is now, this is 1985. I died in 1980. And um, I, I've been meditating since high school. Um, and so long before, and I've been practicing yoga and inner yoga based on Kriya yoga, um, chakra yoga, like, and so I put one hand over his forehead about an inch away and I put one hand over his belly where his pain is, um, or is, and I just start to meditate. And as soon as I begin my chant inside my head, I am, I am illuminated like, like a blast of light comes into me. It felt like it came down from my crown, but it filled my entire interior, il eliminating me. I became, I, I was no P there was no more Peter. Peter was gone. All there was, was illumination and it pulsed through me and then it would stop 
like a like a like a, a DC line that's pulsing to do to do to do to do with the electrons coming in, and and so it's pulsing into me, and I become obliterated, and it flows through me, and then it stops, and I'm back again. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? And boom, it, this thing slams me again, and and it and it's so. It's it's like being hit, and I and I can say this as someone who knows what this is like. It's like being hit with. I've been hit by lightning, and, and this is this is like that times a bazillion. It's like it like obliteration of self, and so so it, I come. This thing pulses through me and pulses through me, and then I'm I'm back, and the ambulance guys are there. Like I I, I open my eyes and I'm surrounded by. EMTs, and um, and I give my report, and uh, they they quiz me out, and they put me on neck traction. So I, I I do neck traction while they while they collar him, and then we we put him on a backboard and strap him and onto the gurney into the ambulance, and off he goes. Show is over, and so I leave. Um, I get in the car. We're driving down back down the highway and I'm telling Brian the story. I'm like, this thing, you know, and, and then, and, but, but I, but Brian doesn't know that I'm a near death experiencer. And I didn't tell him this pulsing thing because I learned to keep my mouth shut mm -hmm. about these crazy things that happened to me. And, but unfortunately I was sitting in the car telling him the story and I looked over and I saw this steeple of a church and on the top was this cross. And as I looked at the cross, it leapt off the steeple and flew toward me at like, like that and it slammed into my chest. And when it slammed into my chest, I felt like I was on fire. I felt like somebody had taken a blowtorch and shoved it inside my body and blasted that thing up high or had taken a knife and shoved it inside me it was stirring me up and i was screaming and writhing in the front seat of the car with my new friend brian screaming at the top of my lungs i'm on fire i'm on fire it hurts and he's like what and i'm i'm like slamming up against him and and like ah and freaking out and he's freaking out and he's trying to drive and and um, he, he he shoved me down. I I I, I want to say he, he he punched me, but I he probably <laughs> didn't. He should have. Okay, he probably should have. Um, but oh but I but when I closed my eyes, when I closed my eyes, I was no longer in my body. I was instantaneously outside of my body, being carried across the universe by my angel the same entity that had carried me into heaven, the same entity that had met me before when I was a child, the same entity of comfort and wisdom and knowledge and power was envel had enveloped me and I was being swept across the length of the universe. And I could see bazillion galaxies I, and I just was speeding across. And I opened my eyes, I'm in pain. I close my eyes, pain's over. And, and after a, a while, the pain sort of went away. It just stopped. Mm. We get home to my apartment. My wife is sitting there, my brand new wife. We had just got married. And I had I had told her the day I know that I know in the book it says I told her the night before we got married. Yeah. But that's not true. She reminded me after publication that I told her the day after. I told her the first day of our marriage what happened to me, which was a bad thing to do. Okay, but I was scared, um, right? Because and and so she was already like this guy, right? And and other weird things had happened. So this is not this. So she hadn't seen anything like this before, 
I hadn't either, but she had she had seen other things in my life, particularly around animals. I have the, I have this strange thing with animals, um, and so she's kind of freaked out. My buddy's kind of freaked out. I'm telling him the story, um, and she knows this about me. And I wait for him to leave, and I'm like, "Honey, it's this is this is part of what it's like to be a near death experiencer." But she's scared, and rightly so. You know, am I married to a crazy guy? Um, but it seemed to quiet down until I got up the next morning, at which point when I closed my eyes, every time I closed my eyes, when I fell asleep that night, when I closed my eyes, I wasn't in heaven. I, w I went to sleep. But mm -hmm. the next day when I woke up and I thought it was over, as soon as I closed my eyes, I'm still projecting across the, the length of the universe. And this, this transect took three days. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was crazy. Crazy. That's what they thought. That's what people, my family ended up thinking, my wife and my friend, um, because my behavior became, because um, I was in heaven. I close my eyes. I'm I'm in an angel being transported across the universe because when I'm inside an angel, there's heaven there. This is in the presence of the divine, even if I'm not fully. And I could see in the far distance our destination. Our destination was the light itself. And I got carried. I got carried um, across and across and further and further and further. And I couldn't go to class, and I'd have I'd have be kind of lucid for a while, and then I then I would close my eyes, and I'd be back in heaven again. So I was living in these two states, and so finally, by the third day, um, I'm well enough to go to class, and I'm sitting in this Professor Kelsey's class, New Testament theology class, mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there, and I'm not a theologian. Okay, I'm I'm in divinity school. I am not a theologian. It's exactly what you said before. Um, I I am I. I am I'm not a theologian, but I'm in, I take a lot of these theology classes, and and as I sat there, I felt like someone had taken a hammer. I felt like my 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 identity, my self, my selfness was a gl a solid glass orb, like a like a like a glass orb, right? Okay, it's like this solid glass thing, and somebody had taken a hammer and smashed it, and I I fragmented. I'm sitting in class, and my whole sense of self fragments into 10,000 pieces like and each one of them is not connected to the other one so so i am like a disassociated fragmentation of 10,000 pieces and not one of them i can can i find my identity among and i'm just like and they <laughs> shattered all around me oh and then I, I thought and i and, and I, I i remember as this began to happen i grabbed my desk and and then it just sort of all came back together again and reformed in a new way. So there's this new me now. And then Kelsey says, Mr. Panagore, you didn't answer my question. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Professor, uh, what was the question? And he asked it and I, and I was back and I answered him and I gave him the right answer and, and, and class moved on. And, you know, and nobody took any more notice, but, I, but he must've seen me like grabbing the desk going, ah, um, cause I, and so that was the end Traveling of Traveling at the speed of light. <laughs> right, exactly. Floating and exploding at the same time. Right. And, and, and nobody can see it happen. So I get home that night, I get home that night and because of my super erratic behavior, 
my 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 dear wife and my dear friend who's still my dear friend okay he's still my buddy um they they had prepared to do an, a mental health intervention on me mm. um and i convinced them that i was fine no honey i'm re i'm okay now um but i said i said look if i'm not well for in a couple of days i agree i'll go in but this is this is a mystical experience i it, by this point I'd, I'd studied mysticism for three years and a graduate program so I, I i knew where i was talking about and i could convince them intellectually that i like i could prove to you this is kind of you know but the upshot of all of it was there were two two upshots of it one i, I finally told brian like a week later i, I was like i gotta tell him he's gonna think it's crazy i gotta he's got to know what the reason is so he's he's the first buddy the the first buddy in graduate school that i told and and the other part that that it left me it left me with a new understanding of self-obliteration that, that well that i could be i could be illuminated here oh i love that i can lose myself here Mm -hmm. and not and not be and, and it's not that it's not that i'm not peter it's that i become what i actually am which is what light the divine yeah. and 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 it's not like it's 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 not mine i i don't own it mm -hmm. um i it it it's so much more than me it's it's for the for the amount that entered into me that obliterated my sense of self it's still minuscule in comparison to infinity mm -hmm. and so it, it so i i well that's kind of that story it, i it goes on from there but i i, I don't want to like monopolize our conversation no i mean monopolize away because it's your experience and it's interesting and life is in the details I, you know, I have some questions just as you're talking and sharing this experience with the angel. You say you were in the angel. Yeah. What, what do you well, mean? You're, well, like. What did it look like? Did it look like anything? Did it, but you could feel you're inside this being of loving light. Yes. That's a good description of it. Okay. All, and it was, it was, um, all powerful in comparison to me. I was like a rag doll in a river, no control at all, no agency. Couldn't make a decision. I could make a decision, but I couldn't make that decision happen. I couldn't stop the event. I was taken by this. And, and inside of this, this orb of consciousness, this loving entity, this bubble, uh, I, it was, is compassion and comfort and and wholeness um and and familiarity yeah do you ever think well as i'm asking this i feel like i'm i've got the second half of this question in my head where i want to ask you do you ever think why me and then of course you're going to say well why not me why are i asked i asked my i asked why me a lot and, and what did you get well that kind of basically it why not me um i mean i don't know why me um i know that i'm pre-existent i know that um my the course of my spiritual journey this is an interlude mm -hmm. it's not this is this is 
where I am now, but it's not, I'm not really fully here. Most of me is still over there. Um, uh, I can't access that so much, but that's my experience of it. So I, I know, I, I can tell you what I know. I know that I have a task. I was assigned a task um, and I accepted that task uh, without recognizing the agreement that I was making at the time that I made the agreement. When I asked to come back um, and the divine told me, you can go back and come back here to heaven. Um, and I said, I choose to live my life. The divine said, you won't live your life. And I didn't realize the deal that I was making. And I, I think that that deal that I made um, as a, as Peter, as a, as an embodied person, um, comes out of my soul connection to the divine and that, that this thing that I've been on this journey a long, long time. I, I saw the origin of myself. I saw it's this crazy thing of being, being in the now. So my origin is in the now it's being created in the now, but it also has longevity at the same time. And it's, and, 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 eons old e eons everlastingly old i saw the everlasting length of my soul life but i also know that um i don't belong to me mm -hmm. that my true self is is the goodness itself and so i feel like i'm i'm a corrupted extension of the divine and when i say corrupted i mean I, I don't live in the purity of the divine self. It's not A, not possible here. And B, I made a choice on my way back um, on the kind of life I wanted to live. But I feel like I'm, I got a job to do. And my job, my job here is very, is very simple. It's to um, be as much of a channel of the light as I possibly can. That's it. To try to get out of the way as much as I possibly can to allow as much in as possible so that as much can come out as possible. Yeah, you, you make me think just of the definition of human, which a lot of people may not even be aware that Hugh is an ancient name for God. And man, well, that's the corrupted, corporal, physical, flesh and bone, sleep decay, die part of you karma, whatever. So we're both a God and this thing that sleeps, decays, and eventually dies. This spacesuit of a body, if you will, that is the holder of the hue, which is the God. Yeah. And I, I do love that you talk about this in some of your talks that Although you've had all these incredible, mystical, powerful, and even disruptive experiences, because we know it's not all like wine and roses. It is not. Thorns. Roses have thorns, and, and wine can be bitter. <laughs> yes. And if you leave it out too long, it tastes like... <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But Vinegar. That's what I should have said. Sour. Getting yeah. your bitter medicine, the medicine from the right. divine, but it might taste bad, but it's just what you need. Yeah. Yeah. But you make a point that, which I love so much, and I think it's really important to mention for people that are listening to this, because some people might be listening to this and say, well, God, I mean, she's had some experiences. He's had all these crazy experiences. I haven't had any of these experiences. And the thing is, you don't 
have to have a near-death experience to live heaven on earth, to know, to have this communion. And then, of course, the next question someone might be asking is, oh, yeah, well, then how am I going to have that experience unless I, you know, flatline (laughs) or have some sort of interruption that's mystical, beyond rational? What's your answer to that? Well, good question. So there's, there's, I don't recommend near-death experience because the integrative (laughs) process is awful. It takes decades uh, because it's just not, I don't recommend it. You don't need a near-death experience. Uh, Divine grace can, can get get you anytime grace wants to, Mm -hmm. but then why some people and not others? I don't know the answer to that question, but I know that the reason why meditative practices are passed down generation after generation around the world and all the major religious traditions because of mysticism is because they work. You, they, you People pass them down because they, they're tools that, that do the job. And so you can, you can practice. And it, the problem with meditative life is that it takes a long time and people are impatient. But right. if you think of your, if you think of the length of your life as a, as a, um, a one unit of your much longer life, then it's totally worth spending your time, some of your time and your the length that you, of the time that you're here to carve away at your interior world, to thin the veil inside you. And that's what meditation does. It thins the veil inside you. And it doesn't have to be formal sitting. It could be you. You can you can do um, a moving form of meditation. The Sufis dance, Tai Chi, Qi Gong, you know, Zen and the Art of Archery. Whatever the form is that you choose to do, um, the idea is to stop the mind from telling you the story of yourself. And when you can con- stop the mind from telling you your story. Um, and that's a euphemism for lots of emotional things too. Um, you you can pierce duality, and because you can you can enter into the peace itself. And when you enter into the peace of quietude, into the silence, when you drop out of the mind into the silence, that's the beginning of the divine. That's the beginning of the connection. So there's that, and then there's a fourth way, and the fourth way. I've been spending the last couple of years reading about this, and um, and it's controversial. Um, but the science, the science is showing that transcendence and the and the end of duality in clinical settings, and with set in setting at John Hopkins University and NYU in particular with psychedelics. Yeah. And that and that there are that in a in a clinical setting, and I and I emphasize clinical setting because set and setting really matters. Um, you can or a person can um, have a transcendent experience that is gives you a glimpse of the divine, and can lead to long after effects, but needs to be nurtured, in order to grow. And so I have a friend. And I ended up studying this. Um, I mean, I took psychedelics when I was younger, um, and I always had a spiritual experience on them. I didn't plan that. That's just what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, after my near-death experience, I was like, oh, that time I took that and had this God experience, that ain't nothing. 
Right. It's like it's a, a, a grain of sand, and I, and you know I was on the beach of the whole beach. You got the straight shot, and I got the straight shot. So I I was like cast that aside, and then this guy came to me. He was a clergy person. I didn't know this guy, but he lived. I live on the coast of Maine. He lived down the coast a bit, and uh, he said, "Can I meet with you?" Because people people know me. I had people know me and know my story, and and he told me that he had gone. He was in the John Hopkins clergy study. John Hopkins did a major study on transcendence, and they brought in rabbis and and Buddhists and congregational ministers and all these guys and women, men and women of, uh, and they put them through a serious, like a year of psychological tests. And then they gave them these high dosages and he had a transcendent experience. And I was like, he told me the story. I was like, no way. I'm thinking to myself, no way. Uh, come on. It's been a year. I mean, and so, but, but what I did is I started reading. So I spent the last two years reading, um, under with his, cause he's a buddy of mine now. Yeah. Um, and I reached the conclusion, and it's you know, it's like I've reached the conclusion. Well, I understand now, but really, John Hopkins and NYU have shown with your evidence that yeah, that actually works. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm I'm just saturated in my mind right now with some Paramahasa Yogananda quotes. And I'm going to butcher his quote, but basically he talks about how we are so drunk with delusion that we can't, because of our ignorance, right? Because of our avidya and because of our maya, our illusion, those two right. main things. Right. Illusion of what we think is, our perception of what we think is real blocks us from experiencing the divine, right? And our pure ignorance blocks us from experiencing the divine. So if you need to take some mushrooms in a clinical setting, like you say, so that you can drop the veil of your own ignorance and your own um, perception of this illusion that you think is really what is happening called life. You're seeing 10% of the isness that is. Right. Then go, go do it. Go have... <laughs> I'm not saying go smoke a bowl, but you know, whatever. You very different thing. Very different thing. Very different thing. And, 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 you know, psychedelics give you what you need and not what you want. And they can be really scary. Yeah. And that's, that's why it's good to have a guide. It's good yeah. not to do it. And somebody who knows what they're doing because they, you're going to need to be led through and you're going to need to be prepared for it, especially if you've never done such a thing before, because you confront yourself, you confront the darkest parts of yourself because the only thing that's really in your way between you and God is you, mm -hmm. you are in your own way. I'm in my own way. And what Pramahansa Yogananda said uh, about ignorance and illusion, that is completely true. And, and, and it, one of the things that meditation does is that it brings you into this, this very narrow space between moments. In that very narrow space between moments, inside the peace inside yourself, when you enter into the quietude, you kind of weave your way through the ignorance and the illusion in the place of no self. And in and, and, and that is the is the practice of the cultivation of that in meditation and even if you have a psychedelic experience or a near-death experience the reason why i dove into meditation and i dove into kriya yoga and my i didn't go to this uh the fellowship i because i f 
because as soon as I was instructed, I found my chakras. They were living real things for me from the get-go because of my NDE. But I realized that if I were to ever cultivate, if I was ever to bring as much of that light inside of me as I possibly could to survive in this world, I had to cultivate my own interior space. Mm -hmm. I had to cultivate my garden. And and so NDEers who, who cultivate their interior garden through meditation and, and, and prayer life, they have more access to it than others who don't. And that's true for all transcendent experiences. Mm -hmm. And you, and the last thing I'm going to say, and then I'll shut up for a sec, is, is that you can use your transcendent experience as a window into heaven. That can be your access point. That's beautiful. Yeah, just adding to what you're saying with uh, myself being a meditator for over 20 years, and for me, I don't think I could survive without my spiritual life. I, I think I'd go to drugs and alcohol and I'm not a user, but I just think life is hard enough that it keeps me, it keeps me sane. It keeps me afloat. It keeps me connected enough where I want to be connected more and more every day. Because once you get a taste of that, it's like you say, you, you, for me, I can sense what you're saying where you have one foot in and one foot out. I, I had an experience when I was like 29, 30. And um, I don't even know if I've shared this in another podcast. And it's so weird because it's like I talk about it. And it's the most profound experience I've ever had. I, I mean, I saw Jesus on the ceiling in a yoga studio with about 50 other people. And nothing crazy was going on in my life. I wasn't in suffering in any way. I wasn't in a going through hard times. I wasn't having the dark night of the soul. I was in a yoga class. <laughs> I was right. dating a pretty cool guy. <laughs> he was an actor, you know. We were living together. All was well. I was in Venice. This guy's playing the harmonium and chanting something, and we're in Shavasana. It's great. Right, right. Life's good. <laughs> Yeah, life is good. I'll get a smoothie and we'll go see. <laughs> right, right. And all of a sudden I feel paralyzed and I start hearing in my right ear, the sound of boulders moving like, like boulders. And I start feeling each one of my sternum bones breaking, Oh God. breaking, but no pain. I describe it like this as a mother who's given birth and broken her tailbone while having an epidural. Ooh. Y'all heard the break. I felt the break, but I felt no pain because I had an epidural. That was the feeling. The biggest snap you can imagine of bones breaking and your entire sternum like you're having open heart surgery. I was having open heart surgery in a theoric sense. Right. And I wanted to scream, but I, something had control over my whole body. Just like the story of when you're on the mountain and you're going through your NDE and you're feeling sucked by this force and there's nothing you can do. Your knees buckle under, you just, you have to give over to this force, this energy, this presence. And I opened my eyes. And I am seeing Jesus on the ceiling 
pouring thousands of rose petals into my heart. Wow. It is the most, I mean, even as I talk about it, I can feel it in my chest. It's the most profound love. I, I, I don't even, there's no word for it on this plane. I could say the day my son was born is the closest comparison. And that doesn't even equate. And I forgot while I'm, why I'm telling this story, but. (sighs) Well, let me jump in and say, uh, mystical experiences happen when they happen. And and that pouring of love into your heart, that's just totally God's MO. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think I brought that up because we were talking about how it's like, yeah, I don't have to be in a temple or having some, I don't even have to be this devout Catholic or, um, Jew or Muslim or pious individual. I was just hanging out in a yoga class and the hilarity, the humor the love of God is so great that he's like, Hey, check it out. I'm going yeah, to get you here this way. <laughs> and it's going to blow your mind so much that you're going to be like, that didn't really happen. Let's go get a burger, <laughs> you know? And then you're driving home and you see on a bumper sticker, uh, that was God. You just saw. Right. Those, those rose, pet- rose petals came from me. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, Oh, I guess that's for me. That was so if you if you look at that, I, you just when you were describing, you said you can feel it just now. It, it, you can a person can incorporate their mystical experiences into their prayer life, into their meditation life, and and just use your mind to look at that place and that feeling, and it becomes like a wedge that you can open. You can open this and open this and open this mm-hmm. because it never goes away. It, it never, ever goes away. It gets layered over. You, you might cover, end up covering it over and put, you know, bags of life, sandbags of life on top of it, but it's still there underneath it. Right. Denial, denial, but why? Right. right. People do. And that's okay until maybe they have another experience that they go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I should go back and look at that. Yep. What? If you could walk away if people could listen to this and walk away with a message of hope, what's the message that God, the God of your understanding brings to you? Love. Love is the treasure of life. And you don't need to be a spiritual person to experience that. You just need to love the people who love you and love the people who don't love you. Just love in your life. And even if you're not a saint of love, you know, selflessly giving to the homeless every day, if you love your children or you love your sister or you love your cat, all of that love matters. And love is, love is the treasure of life. It's, it's every single person is made of the divine light. And every time we share love with each other, we share love back with love itself. There's this great storehouse of love. It's unending and can't be emptied. And it pours through us. And the more we allow it to move between us and, and as, a, as, a, as an, an unconditional gift, 
the stronger our connection to the divine becomes. And the stronger our connection to the divine becomes, the more we love ourselves and the more love we have to love others, even in the face of suffering. Because you, you know the human life, loving people comes with pain. Mm -hmm. so even in the face of pain, this love still has the same value. It has the same value um, here as it does in heaven. It's the only thing that does. Yeah. Well, if wine is the elixir of the gods I've just drank, the sweetest wine talking to you. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> poetry. That's poetic. It is. It's beautiful poetry. Peter Panagore, you are a delight of delights. Thank you so much for being here with me and sharing all of this and more. It's wonderful to talk to you. It's wonderful to meet you. And I really look forward to reading your next book. Do you have a title? A working title. Um, it's called uh, Knowing God. Hmm. And uh, I got another book. Which is great, by the way, because it's not believing in God. It's no. knowing God. It's knowing God. My, my guru at one point when I was really close with this spiritual teacher from India, he would say, I don't want you to believe in anything. I don't want you to, to believe in God. I want you to know God. Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's the difference. Yeah. And then you don't need theology. You don't need priests. You don't need rabbis. All you need is your interior connection, your own temple inside your own heart. Um, and it's helpful to have friends. It's helpful to have spiritual guides. But really, my guru is God. And that's, that's the reason why I never joined this uh, Self-Realization Fellowship, is because I had to declare Brahmahansa as my guru. And I have a beloved. I'm already in love. I can really relate to that. I can really relate to that. The guru is within. We're all part of God. And we're part of God and we're part of the beloved and therefore we are the beloved. Yep. And we're just living in this ignorance and illusion. That's right. Beautifully put. Such a wonderful uh, communion of words with you, Peter. And uh, I really look forward to talking to you again. Vice versa, simpatico. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Spiritual Geek Out podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, check out more by subscribing on your favorite platform or go to spiritualgeekout.com.